Our scripture today is from Luke 3, 15, 17, and 21 to 22. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah. John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie his thongs of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff, he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved with you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Would you please pray with me? Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for your presence in this moment and in every moment of our lives. We pray that we will have eyes to see and ears to hear your word for us. Amen. So this week, we are looking at the baptism of Jesus, which is actually what we do on every Sunday following Epiphany. This is the story that really like kicks off the season of Epiphany because this is the story where God chimes in and is like, yep, he's the Messiah. And, and I've, I've actually been sort of following and, and preaching through the lectionary for about a decade, so I know the story that's coming before I even read the scripture, which actually means I read it a little bit differently. Uh, when, when I first looked at it on Tuesday, I was already thinking, all right, is this passage going to show that Jesus is the Messiah? So I just started like reading through it like that, verse by verse. Actually, a friend of it w- was reading it, so as I was hearing each verse, I was just sort of going through this in my head. You know, it, and it begins, the people were filled with expectation questioning in their hearts if John might be the Messiah. And I'm thinking, awesome, this is on brand. This passage is about the identity of Jesus. This is going to work out well. John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming, and I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Again, this is looking good. John is, John says the Messiah is coming, and we know we are about to be introduced to Jesus. This is going to work out just fine. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. 
Uh, wait a minute, unquenchable fire, what's, what's that mean? Now, when all the people were baptized, when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened. Uh, can, can we go back to the unquenchable fire? I think we missed something. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Yeah, that's great. God loves Jesus. But the only thing anybody's going to remember is that unquenchable fire. Or at least everyone will uh, ignore that verse because it gives them a pit in their stomach. That's, that's sort of what I presumed upon reading it, because uh, I know a lot of folks here at Urban Grace were taught that, that this passage means that Jesus is going to come and judge people. We've probably been told that, you know, Jesus is going to gather up the good seeds and then burn the chaff. We were told, likely, that this is a reference to some people being gathered up into heaven and others sent to hell, because that's where people burn. We were told Jesus is the Messiah. God loved him. God was well pleased with him. We're not so sure about you. But what we were told has more to do with American Uh, with a modern American reading than the actual content of this passage. Because American Christianity sort of presupposes uh, dualistic ideas of heaven and hell. It, It also just sort of presumes that Jesus is awesome and we are not. Yet that hasn't always been the case. In the early church, the starting point wasn't Some of us are good, and some of us are bad. Instead, the early church thought that that we are all formed in the image of Christ. And so that means that whatever Jesus experiences, we experience. That means we die with Christ, we experience new life with Christ, we are beloved like Christ, And and the reason that the early church believed this is because that's what the Bible said, or at least parts of it. In in Romans 8, there's a a section that talks about how we're all being made into the likeness of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says that we were like Adam, but we've become like Jesus. And then it introduces the idea that Jesus is the new Adam, or like Jesus is the mold that we're all being made into. And Colossians, that whole first chapter of Colossians does something similar when it explains that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. And the way that that this was understood is that Jesus is the archetype or the mold of what it is to be human. We are all shaped in Jesus' image. So, Whatever happened to Jesus happens to us. The pattern of the gospel story is the pattern of our lives. This includes suffering and dying and new life. But it starts with being loved. Because that's 
where it starts with Jesus. When Jesus is baptized, a voice from heaven says, You are my son, the beloved. With you, I'm well pleased. According to the New Testament, much of the New Testament, and the early church, and actually Karl Barth for any theology nerds, um, all of these folks, uh, according to all these folks, when God says these words, God says them to all of us. You are my child. You are loved. With you, I'm well pleased. And actually, perhaps a better translation there is, I'm delighted with you. And you know, when Jesus heard these words, he hadn't actually done anything yet. He hadn't healed anyone, didn't have any disciples yet. He hadn't preached any famous servants. Before Jesus does anything, he's loved. And he's also really liked. Uh, My friend Chris thinks this is one of the most important passages in the Bible uh, because it lets us know from the beginning that God not only loves us, God really likes us. When his son was born, this is the first thing he told him. Mitch, I love you. And I really like you. And that's such a beautiful message. And it's a really hard message to internalize. It can be hard to believe that we're loved. Hard to believe that our creator delights in us. And it's hard because we've got so many messages that tell us otherwise. We're, We're given impossible standards to live up to. And then when we are made to feel bad, when we fail. Like media and the internet run campaigns, or media and advertising run campaigns to make us feel like we're missing out on something, usually so they can convince us we need to buy something. And then, of course, some of us have illnesses or experiences or quirks that make us different from others. Or mean that we can't do what other people can do. Or that parts of life are a little bit more difficult. And and then we've just the real life challenges of making friends, of going through being rejected by someone we love, or or struggling to be the the person we want to be. So we often go through life wondering if, if something is just a little bit off with us. And that makes it really hard to believe that we are loved and that we are liked at our core. These messages come from the outside and from the inside telling us, yeah, you're you're just okay. And that eats away at the beautiful image of God inside us. And and I think for many of us, these, these these defeating beliefs about ourselves can like pull us down like weights that that need to be thrown off so we can live into God's love. They're like clothes that are too tight and are just suffocating us until we rip them off. Like, (laughs) it's like a three-day-old chicken salad sandwich that's made us sick that, that needs to be thrown up before we can become well. We need to get that out. 
It's like chaff that needs to be burned away so we can get to the wholesome wheat and grain that sustains us and gives us life. You, you see what we did there, the, the wheat and the chaff? There's, there's actually nothing in this text to imply that chaff is referring to people. There's nothing here to say that Jesus has come to separate the good people from the bad people. There's nothing about hell. What we have is a metaphor of burning away chaff. And chaff is a part of the grain. Chaff is like the dry casing on a seed that protects it and helps it grow. But if you try to make bread by leaving the chaff in it, your bread will taste horrible. It has to be separated, but the chaff was good for the seed at first, which, which may actually be similar to some of the beliefs we have about ourselves that make it so hard to love ourselves. We may have picked up from our family a belief that uh, we need to be good to be loved. Our, our honesty or our vulnerability may have been betrayed and we learned that it just, it's not safe to trust others with who we really are. I mean, there are, there are lots of beliefs that help us survive a period of our life. But eventually those beliefs stop serving us. They're like chaff that needs to be burned up for us to accept that God loves us and God delights in us. And, and I do want to name the, the limits of this metaphor, or at least the idea that chaff is always something that was good for us. Because I think that's the case with a lot of our beliefs. Um, but, but we may have been, I don't know, bullied in a way that crushed us. Our church may have told us that, that God won't love us if we love people of the wrong gender. We, we may have internalized the prejudice we experienced. And, and sometimes destructive events lead to de- destructive beliefs that have never been good for us. And those need to be burned away too. And, and I'll be honest, I still sort of like bristle when I read about unquenchable fire. But I think it's a beautiful image if we can get past the baggage that we've inherited. Because there is a lot in our lives that need to be burned away. All these things that, that keep us from knowing how loved we are. All the things that keep us from knowing how liked we are. It, it all needs to be burned away. And, and that image of burning, we sort of, you know flinch a little bit because that's not a pleasant image. Burning is painful, which sort of fits because there are parts of the process that, that are painful. But what accompanies in our text, we've got, it's really like sort of elemental. We get this first, this image of fire burning away the chaff. And then we have the soothing waters of baptism where we plunge into the cold water only to rise and hear the voice that's been calling us all our lives saying, you are my child. 
holy and beloved. I love you and I am delighted with you. Baptism takes us back to our core identity as beloved children of God. And it's, it is often a long process to accept the love and the delight that rests at the core of our souls. It has moments of pain and also moments of peace and joy. And some of, this, some of the process is, is work we do on our own, and some of it's done in community. Actually, I didn't even think too much about this until I was, I was looking up. Uh, Audre Lorde is this uh, great writer who, uh, in the 70s, wrote about, uh, about like self-love as an act of rebellion and a radical political act. And I was uh, sort of exploring some of her work and found the Audre Lorde Project in New York. And it does a wonderful job of describing the need for community to repair the damaging merit, uh, messages about ourselves we've internalized. And this is sort of written for and speaks directly to the, the physical and emotional violence queer people of color face and calls us all to the radical act of self-love that help and happens when we love each other fiercely by meeting one another's needs. uh, This is the the quote that I found that I liked so much, that that we've been taught and conditioned that in moments of crisis and trauma, we should turn away from the communities and the relationships that hold us. In moments of community grief, let us find each other and radically turn to each other with love, consensually present to each other, consensually present each other with our hurts and our needs and strategize as a community to get those needs and desires met. There's something about community that that helps you believe the things that are so hard to believe about yourself. There's something about community that holds us and transforms us. And this is actually built into the liturgy of, of our transforming rite in the church, the, the rite of baptism. Because in baptism, we ask individuals to make promises. Then we turn to the community and ask each other to promise to love and to support one another, and it, which is actually where I want to sort of turn to right now. Because So it's, it is the baptism of the Lord's Sunday, And my ample training as a Presbyterian minister encourages me to have us recite our baptismal vows. And that sounds like totally boring and a bad idea um, until I started writing a sermon about really what we're doing in baptism. And uh, the more I thought about it, the more it felt like something beautiful. So I'm going to ask you to do this with me, um, no matter if you've actually been baptized, all I see in this room are beloved children of God. So I invite you to to join me by responding to the liturgy that I'm going to put up on the PowerPoint. And this sort of, I, I sort of put it together to sum up all of the questions and promises and vows we make at baptism.
in the waters of baptism, we're reminded of our deepest and most essential identity, the one that we do not need to earn, that we can never lose or screw up. Friends, who are you? I am a child of God, holy and beloved. After we ask those promises to the person being baptized in the liturgy, we then turn to the whole community and ask them to make promises to one another. So I ask you, do you promise your love, support, and care to one another as we turn to one another with love, sharing our strategies for grounding, our support, our resilience, our transformation, and our accountability as we live into our identity as beloved children of God. We promise our love, support, and care. Well, I'm now going to ask y'all to come forward and sort of experience the elements that symbolize these promises that we've made. Throughout the season of Epiphany, every week we're going to actually invite y'all to come up and light a candle uh, as a form of prayer. Today, I invite you to pray that the fire uh, will burn away any belief you have that's an obstacle to your, your identity as a beloved child of God that is deeply liked. And then next, and there are like candles you can grab and you light and you stick it in. And then next that you'll see a bowl of water. On the Sunday of the baptism of the Lord, and actually uh, every year that I've done this, I've actually made holy water. That's not what I'm supposed to say. I'm supposed to say consecrate the water. Um, and uh, I'm going to skip that this year um, because because I believe this is already holy water. That it, we, I don't get to turn it holy by praying the right prayer, uh, but that that God's spirit is embedded in all of creation, that the water that we wash ourselves with every day, that it is holy and we simply need eyes to see. So I invite you to come forward and, and light a candle, then maybe dip your hands in the water, uh, maybe splash it on your face or you make the sign of cross. Do, do whatever reminds you of the soothing waters of baptism and the words of God that promise to each of you, you are my child, you are loved, I'm delighted with you. Amen.